0: Hour number three, Team Talk, ESPN Radio, 101.7. The team, appreciate you hanging out as always. Sam Hauser taking you until 6.30, and then we move on to Friday Night Lights, high school football, getting us started with an unbelievable head-spinning weekend of sports here on ESPN Radio, 101.7. The team, it's El Dorado and Sandia from Wilson Stadium tonight at 7 o'clock, but again, our pregame coverage at 6.30, but you heard it there on Center. You heard it from Greenie wedged in with all the football. It's the American and National League Division Series starting tomorrow. We'll have a couple of games for you right here on ESPN Radio 1017. The team, of course, we are your network home for the Dodgers as well. Dodgers getting things started with the Diamondbacks tomorrow night. Clayton Kershaw gets the ball for game one. And to talk about this series, joining us now on the Daniels Plumbing, Heating, and Air... And so con- he wants to... Uh- joining us now on the Daniels Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Cool Take Hotline, Jack Harris of the LA Times. Dodgers reporter with the LA Times all over this series. So, Jack, really appreciate the time. Dodgers now fourth year in a row getting an NL West team in the divisional round. It just happens to work out that way. And a pesky one here with the Diamondbacks. They're thorny, they're pokey, they won't go away. Saw what they did to the Diamondbacks. Where should Dodger fans' confidence level be against this Diamondbacks team now that we're in a completely different animal here in the postseason?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this is a series that the Dodgers should win. Um, Offensively, they have the better lineup. They have the bigger stars at the top. I think they have probably a little bit more dependable depth. The back of their bullpen is really good, came together really nicely over the second half of the season. They got better defensively, controlling the run game. Uh, Obviously, there's questions about their rotation right now. Clayton Kershaw is going to start tomorrow, but he has not been at 100% the last two months of the year. Probably not going to throw more than four or five innings. Bobby Miller will start game two. He's a rookie, and then after that, it's going to be a very patchwork pitching plan that will include some other rookie arms, some other guys being asked to step into bigger roles. So It's not a perfect Dodger team, but it's one that was better than the Diamondbacks, both head-to-head and in the division during a regular season, that, the, the, that after some early struggles against the D-backs in particular, you know the two teams played twice in August. The Dodgers swept both series. And even though they're coming off this five-day layoff, even though the Diamondbacks had those two really good wins in Milwaukee to get here, um, it's still a series that, if you're the Dodgers, you should feel good about the way they've hit against Merrill Kelly and Zach Gallon this year, about the way that they they played against the D-backs the last couple of times, and just about kind of how these teams stack up overall. But, I mean, it's also a series that if they struggle at the plate like they did last year against the Padres, if... They have a couple defensive mistakes. If they can't control the running game for a D-back team that, that likes to steal bases, uh, it could also be a closer series than expected. So I think it's a good matchup, but one that, again, the, the Dodgers should be winning.
0: So you mentioned Clayton Kershaw. You mentioned Bobby Miller. He certainly pitched his way onto this postseason roster. No question about that, Jack. But the name that you didn't mention there is Lance Lynn. And certainly he's pitched better for the Dodgers than he did before the trade deadline. But did it was it just a case where he didn't, earn enough trust to get the ball or is it going to be a last minute decision? I mean, what is the situation with Lance Lynn where we sit tonight?
1: Yeah, I mean, he could start game three. I think uh, when you look at games three and four, you know, he'll probably be the starter in one. I think Ryan Pepio will probably feature pretty prominently in in, in the other. Um, But like with most of the rest of the pitching staff outside of, of Bobby Miller and Clayton Kershaw, I don't expect to see Lance Lynn pitching more than two or three innings or facing the heart of an order more than one or two times. I think that's just the way that the Dodgers pitching staff is set up right now based on the way guys that perform during the regular season. You know, somebody like Lance Lynn didn't really do a lot more to deserve a bigger role than that. When you have a, a, as many young arms as this team does, you don't want to have to over rely on any single one of them. Um, so for somebody like Lynn, his value is going to be that, yeah, he'll be one of probably three or four guys over the course of this series. And as long as they're in the playoffs, that will be able to take down two or three innings at a time and try to shorten up some of the games to be able to get to those those uh, back-end relievers in the bullpen. Um, but he's another guy that, you know, in a perfect world for the Dodgers, they probably weren't hope- expecting to have to rely on somebody like Lance Flynn who gave up 40-plus home runs and had a really up-and-down season and a big spot in the playoffs. But that's where they're at. He's going to play uh, a relatively big part uh, in their pitching plans this series, but I'm, I'm also not expecting a five- or six-inning start from him in either Game 3 or Game
0: 4. Game 1 at Dodger Stadium tomorrow night. Is there another name or two, Jack, somebody who was on the fence that may have played their way onto the roster for the Division Series or maybe even potentially played their way off of it?
1: Yeah, I think one name that's interesting to me is, is Emmett Sheehan. He's another one of these rookie pitchers. Uh, he's played his way onto the postseason roster probably a couple weeks ago with how well he pitched in his most recent call-up from AAA. I think he's one of these guys that when we talk about this patchwork pitching plan, he's a good example. He could maybe follow Clayton Kershaw tomorrow night for a two- or three-inning bulk appearance. He could maybe pitch on leverage at some point in the series. He could be another guy who's a possibility to open a game or start if they're trying to get a different look. He's got a kind of funky lower arm slot. He's got a really good fastball. He had a couple you know, no-hit starts against the Giants this year. It's guys like that that are giving the Dodgers confidence. You know, Emmet Sheehan's not somebody who has a lot of MLB experience. He, had, he started this year in Double A, but his stuff is really good, and that's what the Dodgers are trying to balance right now. Guys like him, Michael Grove probably goes on that bucket. Ryan Pepio, with how he pitched at the end of the year, these guys that don't have a huge track record that they're not going to, you know, be able to lean on like traditional starters, but that when you combine them all together with some of the raw stuff they have, with some of the promise they showed at times during the regular season. They feel like they have a a big enough collection of arms to go to, at least in the DS, to be able to get through it when you add in the off days and the other things they are going to help out their pitching. So Sheehan's one guy that I think, um, you know, how he's used in the series will be kind of emblematic for how the Dodgers, uh, as a pitching staff on the whole, are going to be able, or are going to try to get through October.
0: Jack Harris with us here on Team Talk, ESPN Radio 1017, the team LA Times, Dodgers reporter, and of course a lot of this is going to uh, is going to fall on these bullpen arms that have been so reliable the last couple of years. But what really flipped for these guys, Jack? What's been working as of late? Because it was a very slow start for this bullpen the first month, month and a half or so of the regular season. But by the time we got to the end of the regular season, one of the best in baseball, what really got going for those guys?
1: Yeah, I think they had to kind of recalibrate which guys they trusted, which guys they didn't, and how all of the pieces for this year were going to fit. Evan Phillips is a good example. You know, last year he was that fireman come in in the biggest moment of a game, whether it was the sixth inning or the ninth inning kind of guy. This year he became their established closer. They had to figure out where Bruce are all fit into the plans. It's sort of the setup guy. You know, he'll he'll pitch at various points, especially if there's a string of right-handers that they're trying to take down. One of the biggest things that happened was the arrival of Ryan Brazier from the Boston Red Sox. Uh, after the Red Sox cut him, after he got off to a really bad start to the year. But he came to L.A., he started throwing a cutter. He's been one of the best relievers in baseball since he arrived with the team near the end of June. And it's just allowed all the other pieces to kind of fall into place where you now have, you know, you're not overly overly relying on uh, lefties like Alex Vesey and Caleb Ferguson who have been inconsistent this year. They figured out the long relief options a little bit better. You know, Andre Jackson went out of the mix. Some of these rookie pitchers like a Sheehan, like a Michael Grove played bigger roles as the season went on. They added Ryan Yarborough at the trade deadline. So they, they just kind of got the pieces lined up in the right way. But I think going into the playoffs, the biggest thing is you have Evan Phillips in the ninth inning. You have Bruce Dargraderall and Ryan Brazier before him. You have the last nine outs of a game you, pr- you feel pretty confident about. It's just about trying to build that bridge there, figure out the pieces that can take down the first 18 outs, those first six innings to be able to Make sure you're leading a game when you get to the back end of the bullpen, because really, like you mentioned, like that's become one of their biggest strengths during the second half of the season, and one of the big reasons they pulled away in the in the division, like they did.
0: And now taking on the Diamondbacks in the National League Division Series, game one tomorrow night. course looking forward to bringing you this series here on ESPN Radio 1017. The team. What are some other things that you look at that that has to be different this time as opposed to you know last year? There, there was that level of intensity, that extra level. It seemed like the Padres were able to get to. Certainly having the, the extra days off versus a team that just played. But just when, when when there's so much, everything that the Dodgers did in the regular season now gets put away because of the expectations that are on this team to win a championship. What has to be different? Not even just necessarily X's and O's baseball-wise, Jack, but what are some things that, the, that has, as far as the Dodgers approach, That has to be different this time to avoid another uh, first-round exit.
1: Yeah, I think it's what you mentioned. It's two things, an intangible one and an intangible one that go in tandem. And it's hitting with runners in scoring position, and it's playing with more intensity and and desperation as a team. I think those two things last year were somewhat tied together, especially in games and especially in that last game where they were eliminated once the Dodgers fell behind. You saw the quality of their at-bats go down. You saw them start chasing pitches they wouldn't normally chase. You saw the energy level drop. You saw them almost give away at-bats in a way that, that a team last year that won 111 games in the regular season never did. And I think people within the organization and around baseball looked at that facet of their NLDS loss last year and looked at the fact that it was a team that, yeah, they got along, yeah, they worked well together, but it, it they lacked that sort of energy and enthusiasm and charisma and cohesion that you build over the course of 162 games, that the good teams build over the course of the full season. So I think this year, the vibe is different. This is a team that, by all accounts, is much tighter. It's a new-look roster where they've brought in these young guys. They have some veterans like a Jason Hayward and a Miguel Rojas and a J.D. Martinez that have added a different dynamic to that room. I think it helps that you have not only Freddie Freeman playing the way he is, but Mookie Betts had a much better season and was a much more – Uh, maybe not vocal guy, but a much more just enthusiastic presence around the team this year. And I think all those things are important when you get in situations where you have a guy at second base or third base and you have to get him in and you have to stay calm and you have to execute. It helps when you have that sort of team bond, that team chemistry, that team trust to fall back on uh, in in moments like that. It was something that, that you said was missing in their series last year that they're confident has been addressed. Now, whether it translates to better production in and, and, and those key spots with the situational hitting, you know, we'll see. That's one of the big questions and one of the, the things that have tripped up a lot of Dodger teams over the, the last decade that had early October exits. But it's something that internally they feel a lot better about going into this postseason and something that they hope does translate in a way that helps this roster that personnel-wise on the field might have some missing pieces and might have some questions they're hoping that all that behind-the-scenes stuff can help overcome that. And I think the number one area you're going to look at there is how they're doing in, in key situations, how they're hitting with runners in scoring position, and if they're able to build momentum over the course of games.
0: Yeah, and two out-hitting certainly been a strength for pretty much the entire season. We're talking to Jack mm-hmm. Harris, LA Times, Dodgers reporter. Just because there's so much attention on, on this series in particular, Jack, I know all your attention is on, on Dodgers, Diamondbacks, do just want to get your thoughts on on Braves Phillies, you know, certainly a Phillies in the World Series last year, the Braves winning it all the year before. A lot of hype around this series, and it and it really does seem like you know, Dodgers are up there, but it does seem like everybody's kind of chasing the Braves right now. I, I mean, just your thoughts on this series and what it would potentially look like if we got the National League Championship series that we're hoping for.
1: Yeah, I mean, the Braves have been a juggernaut all year. It's one of the hardest lineups to contain, to pitch to. There's so many different options, and, and even when you compare them to a team like the Dodgers, who finished second in baseball in a lot of those offensive categories to Atlanta, you know, the Dodgers have had to do a lot of it with platoon platoon spots in the lineup and trying to cycle guys in and out and maximize matchups. It's not what the Braves have done as much. They have their, their six or seven guys that they can count on, that have, have proven that they can hit all different kinds of pitching and producing and, and, and different kinds of matchups. That's what makes the Braves really dangerous. Now, I, I think there are some questions about the Braves pitching staff and the status of Max Fried's blister and, and not having Charlie Martin early in the playoffs and, and some other things along those lines. You know, on one hand, they kind of remind you of last year's Dodgers team. Um, but I think on the other hand, they look like a team that, that's going to be much more equipped to execute in October and avoid the kind of letdown that last year's Dodgers teams did. So, I think, you know, whoever advances out of that series, to me, is probably, if not the favorite, at least, if they're playing the Dodgers, you know, it's going to be a toss-up kind of NLCS um, against the Braves or the Phillies. I think the lineup that Phillies had the last couple months has been really imposing. I think their rotation is just as good, maybe if not, even a little bit better than Atlanta's going into the playoffs. So that series is really intriguing. It's one of those that you almost wish it was the best of seven in the DS to see those two teams right. you know, battle it out for longer than five games. Um, and it wouldn't be surprising to me at all if that's the series that kind of ultimately decides who's winning the NL Pennant and playing in the World Series in a couple weeks.
0: We'll leave it on this, Jacks. I appreciate the time. I know you got a lot to do. getting ready for this series. Again, Game 1 tomorrow night, Diamondbacks-Dodgers from L.A. If the Baseball Writers Association was to call you right now and say, don't think, just take your pick, Mookie Betts, Ronald Acuna Jr. Did Mookie do enough to still have a case? Or was the 40 home run, 70 stolen base, is that going to seal it for Acuna Jr. to win NL MVP?
1: Yeah, I think, for me, Mookie Betts still has a really strong case when you look at the body of work this year, what he meant. I think that that valuable word really applies to the kind of season he had for the Dodgers where he wasn't only playing right field, but he was playing second base, he was playing shortstop, he was allowing them really maximize the potential of this roster and how to best kind of serve everybody else in that lineup on top of what was one of his best offensive seasons of his entire career. Now the problem that he's going to have is uh, his September was pretty pedestrian uh, while Ronald Acuna had a a really strong finish to the year. Uh, A lot of the stats that Mookie had been leading in for, for much of the campaign, you look at OPS, you look at war, uh, Acuna caught up to him there so my my guess is right now and probably my vote if you if you add all this up is, is it probably goes to Ronald and I think the voting's probably going to be uh, based on the way the season ended I'd be surprised if, if Mookie's too close to him Uh but I also think that that you know watching what he meant to this Dodger team every day that saying that Mookie Betts is no case anymore for the MVP is also the wrong choice he he was as important as any player was to, to, to almost any team, especially any competitive team this year, in my opinion, um, and, and that's one of those things that, coupled with strong numbers across the board, should have you right there at the top of the MVP conversation.
0: Yeah, no question, on and off the field for Mookie, the the play on the field, offense, defense, the the charisma, the the positive attitude, always got a big smile on his face, always looks like he's having a lot of fun. That one's going to come down to the end. It's going to be a lot of fun watching the series. You can follow him on Twitter at ByJackHarris. You can find his work in the uh, online edition of the LA Times. Encourage you to do that for all the Dodgers inside information, all the stories going on. Jack, thank you so much for making the time out here, and uh, we'll catch up with you soon. We'll be following along with your work in the LA Times.
1: No, thanks, man.